Amen. And our text this morning, I would like to direct your attention to um, a New Testament book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And while you are doing that, please allow me to um, say on behalf of the Berean Bible Fellowship Church family once again, congratulations on 16 years of, of pastoral ministry at um, Division Church Pearland. Uh, I'd like to thank the Bereans that are uh, online with us. I invited some to come to help support you all um, in your celebration appreciation. Also, uh, my lovely wife, uh, Melissa West, is on as well. Just want to thank God for my gift and thank God for the Bereans and their support. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 reads as following from the New American Standard Bible version. Peter writes, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lorded it over these, those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let me add a bonus scripture for you. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First Peter chapter five, verses one through five. Uh, anyone that looks at or peruse my social media account, Facebook, for instance, would know that I am the doting happy grandfather of a bouncing 15 month old grandbaby girl. And, and something that is uh, exciting about her is uh, her imitation. An imitation is a form of learning and adopting. Uh, my, my grandbaby, she imitates the sounds and the movements that she hears and sees. That tells us that as, as parents and grandparents, we better be careful with what we say in front of those kids because they are picking up everything we say like little sponges. When she's in her playpen and she's with her little educational toys and, and she puts and punches one of the buttons, uh, it says purple when it says, when it's the purple color, and she can't quite say purple, it comes out as purple. But she can say papa, nana, mama, and dada. Imitation is a baby or a toddler's form of learning and adopting. Imitation can also be used in a negative sense. How many of y'all, when you were young and had a annoying brother or sister used to follow you around and little young whippersnapper, snotty nose rascal, follow you around and mimic everything that you said or did. Everything that you said, they repeated it like a parrot. Or maybe you are a parent and you have a couple of kids and you have one sibling that comes to you exasperated because the other sibling won't leave them alone, just mimicking or parroting everything that they do. With those two examples, I also want you to know that Imitation is also the sincerest form of flattery. When someone imitates you in ministry, or someone imitates your style, someone imitates how you wear your hair or how, how, how you carry yourself, what they're saying is that I admire you, I am emulating what you are doing, and I am flattering you by my imitation of you. This morning, I want you to know that when we imitate God, 
we glorify him and bless us. And in our text this morning, I see an opportunity to imitate the chief shepherd in one particular aspect. And I would like for you to consider our topic for this morning, honoring who God honors. As we talk about members appreciating their pastor, honoring who God honors. In our text this morning, I think there's three things for us to consider. One, I want to talk about the pastor's role. Um, two, I want to talk about the pastor's readiness. And finally, I want to talk about the pastor's reward. Uh, look at verse 1 through 2a with me, uh, the pastor's role. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Saints of God, I want you to understand the pastor's role when Peter, um, that disciple, that dude, is writing to uh, uh, the church in Asia Minor, and he's blending doctrine with practicality. He's blending theology with application. Peter before has told this church, he says, I want to show you how you can have joy and you can be and you can exalt even when you're going through persecution, even when you're going through suffering. Peter wants them to know that I want you to know about the new existence that you have as lively stones, that you are a peculiar people, that you are a royal peace, priesthood. I want you to know that your new status in Christ affords you some things that the world can't handle. And even when you're going through and matriculating this thing called life, Peter says you can go through it with joy and with exaltation, even in the midst of when you're being persecuted or when you are suffering at the hands of a postmodern, post-Christian uh, world that is uh, aggressive towards you because they don't want you and they don't like you. Peter is showing them how to have joy in the midst of suffering. And, and he writes something to pastors. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker. Somebody put a pen right there. I'm going to pick that up later. A partaker also of the glory that is to reveal. You know, Peter. Peter was that dude that uh, uh, was working through his leadership acumen. He was that dude that Jesus had to work with. And you can see the growth in Peter from when he was a brash Galilean fisherman to where he denied the Christ word. Jesus told him to shepherd and to feed his flock. And then he became a leader in the church. I'm talking about that Peter. That Peter, the one who would say something what needed to be said, whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent, he was going to say something that Peter. Peter, who was uniquely qualified because he was a part of the three-year residency program that Jesus gave his disciples so that those men would turn the world, some said, upside down, but we know it's right side up. That Peter, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they tried to take his master, that dude that rose up and cut off the ear of Malchus, and cause Peter said, you ain't taking my Christ. But it was Jesus who put Malchus's ear back on and said, Peter, no, 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 I'm not going to do this by the sword. You just put that down and let it go the way that God has already ordained for it to go. I'm talking about that Peter who got out of the boat and walked on water because Jesus told him that he could. I'm talking about that Peter. Peter says, I who am a fellow elder with you and I witness and I will suffer for Christ. And I also am a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. I know we're in the midst of a pandemic. You ain't got to touch your neighbor, but just point at them and tell them partaker too. 
we're talking about Peter. And Peter says, uh, I'm a witness of these things that we've seen. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, he says, but whatever things were gained for me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost and viewed as the passing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Has anyone suffered for the cause? The loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having my own righteousness of my righteousness derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him. Peter and Paul sinking up and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Beloved, if we suffer, we shall also reign. Christ does not waste sufferings, trials, and tribulations, but he is working something out in you in the midst of what you are going through. It may seem like tremendous headwinds now. It may seem like you're never going to make it to the other side. It may seem like you're never going to get to glory. But yes, we are going to get to glory, and we are partakers too, even as we examine the pastor's room. If we suffer, we shall also reign. Peter writes, therefore, I exhort you elders because I'm a fellow elder as well. And not only am I an elder and a pastor and a pastor of pastors, but he says, I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I was there and saw what they did to my Lord and your Savior. I was there when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes tried to trip them up at every hand. I was there when they, they, they did them bad and stoned them. I was there. When all of this happened, and I have witnessed the sufferings, and I have suffered as well. But if we suffer, we're going to reign, and we're also going to be partakers of the glory that we saw Christ see. Peter tells them not only about the role, but we talk about the pastor's readiness. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, filthy lucre, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proven to be examples of the flock. Imitation, once again. Uh, first of all, a pastor needs to understand, and your pastor understands this very well, that uh, God's flock has been and has been entrusted to our care. Uh, Vision Church Pearland, you have been entrusted to Pastor Derek's care by God. So we have to be careful how we take care of God's property. They are not to be like shepherds indicted in Ezekiel 34 who treated their flock um, harshly and brutally and who care only for themselves. No, no, no. Your pastor is a pastor after God's own heart. And he knows that he doesn't own anything. Last time I checked, only people with slavery. He knows that you have been given to him and he is a steward and he is responsible for your well-being. So I know personally that he takes that very seriously. This is what Peter says, talking about the role of the pastor. He says, first, those who serve as elders are not to serve under 
compulsion. Meaning servant cause, you think it's a dread and that you just have to. No, 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 no. A, a good pastor serves with a wholehearted desire, which is God's will for them. Not only that, but uh, those who serve only because they feel like they have to will soon lose their joy. And those who serve out of compassion or a compulsion, uh, I, if I don't do this, something's going to happen to me. I don't really want to do it, but I better do it because it's not so much that I love God and his people. It's just that I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to get whooped by God. Can I get a witness? No, 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 no. A pastor who is serving out of a wholehearted desire and a willingness will imitate God and will take care of God's people. I'm trying to get to how we can honor who God honors. Secondly, I want you to know that elders must not take a leadership position out of greed. The Bible tells us that we're not supposed to do this for filthy lucre's sake before we do this, as your pastor mentioned earlier, because we love God and we love people and for the love of people's souls. Knowing that if the gospel is not preached, if the, the, the uagelion is not taught, if we don't tell people how to live an enriching life and how they will die and go to hell, if they don't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, how his the debt of sin that we had had been paid by the master that before time began, it had already been ordained about how God was going to redeem a sinful folk back to a holy God when we couldn't pay our debt, even when they were going to church once a year, making atonement through the blood of lamb and goats and turtle doves, when that wasn't enough because the blood of lamb, turtle doves, and goats and bullocks cannot atone for the sins of the blood of man. So God in his infinite wisdom before time began had a council with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And before time began, they already made a reason and a way and a procedure that we would be saved from our sins past, present, and future. God has loved us before we were even born and has redeemed us before we knew we needed redemption. I'm talking about that's the heart that a pastor has to take care of God's flock. And it's not for any amount of money in the world because there's not enough money to make us do this. There's not enough money to make your pastor get up in the morning at 205, 317 to go to funerals and graveside services to, to, to baptize your children and to pray over your older folks and to dedicate your kids and to officiate your weddings and to help you work through your, your, your marital problems and help you work through your financial problems and even give you a little something out of his own pocket when you need a 20 spot that lasts you to the and that a week when once again the month is longer than the money the good pastor would do all those things because it's not out of compulsion it's out of a willingness and an eagerness to serve God and his people go ahead pastor, preach West I'm talking about the pastor's role and the pastor's responsibility and if we imitate God we will honor whom God honors a pastor does not take a leadership position out of greed and nor does a pastor use their position of authority as an opportunity to, to oppress those who are underneath them or their leadership. Jesus told his disciples, he said, uh, I don't want you all exercising lordship like the Gentiles do. The Gentiles love to let people know who in charge. They love to have a heavy thumb and a heavy hand on those who are uh, in their leadership group or, or that report to them. 
How many of y'all know that on your job, there is a difference between leadership and just being in charge? Some folks think that they're leading, but they're not really leading. They're just in charge. They like to tell people what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. But all the time, they do not model that behavior and lead by example. I often tell them in the different spheres that I'm in, I say, listen, uh, you don't manage people. You manage objects. You lead people. So you have a pastor that could be appreciated for leading people and modeling, imitating what Christ said. Followers of Jesus are to use their authority to serve, just like Jesus said. And he says, you know, I, I came uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. There is a difference between having the title of a pastor and operating in the spirit or the office of pastor. Uh, Jesus said, uh, Paul said in the church, to the church of Philippi, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, a good shepherd will lay down his life for a sheep. Can, can, can I talk about a shepherd for a minute? A shepherd knows that there's different ways that you have to deal with your sheep. A shepherd knows that he has to provide for the sheep. He has to protect the sheep. Uh, the shepherd leads the sheep because when the Bible tells us or calls us sheep, it's not really a, 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 a compliment that he's given us because sheep are the sheep are kind of scary and sheep are not that smart. They have to be led uh, to the steel waters. If the waters are too choppy, they don't even drink. If you leave sheep alone, they'll follow a path trying to get to the good places to eat, even if it leads to danger and off a cliff. But a shepherd shepherds the sheep, protects the sheep, provides for the sheep. And a good shepherd knows that he has to corral the sheep. And a good shepherd knows that sometimes he has to chastise the sheep. And a good shepherd knows that when a sheep keeps going off and they're in danger of being snatched up or killed by the wolf, a good shepherd will take his staff and will break the leg of that sheep. But along with breaking the leg of that sheep, he will bind it up and care for it and tend it and take that sheep and put it on his shoulders so that the sheep can learn how to walk with the flock. Hello, somebody. I believe you have a pastor. Well, I know you do. That will provide for you for your education, for your spiritual maturation, uh, for your spiritual well-being. And also, if need be, he'll tap you on your leg that he may get you to come back in the right direction, that we may glorify and honor God. But while he's doing that, with care, concern, and love, he will put you on his shoulder and carry you with him so that you can see how to honor God. And beloved, now that we have talked about shepherds, Go with me to verse four, where we talk about another shepherd. Peter writes, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We've already seen in verse one, the instruction that the elders are given, and it introduces a, notice, a notion of suffering and then glory. I want you to know that it implies that those who serve well now will receive a great reward later. I want you all to follow me with this now. Peter did not call on leaders to sacrifice without any thought of reward. Uh, when you work on your job, you're not working 
uh, out of the goodness of your heart, you are working and providing a service to them and they are going to provide a remuneration to you. Peter said, even when the shepherd is shepherding, even when the pastor is pastoring, even when the leader is leading, God has in his word says, as you lead, as I have told you to lead, I am going to reward you a greater reward and glory. But there is something else that we need to see here. Peter reminded them that the labor for others will have a great reward and they will bring with them a remarkable joy. When we see this chief shepherd, we know that it is Jesus that is the chief shepherd and reminds leaders that they are fundamentally servants and not autocrats. The position of leadership are a responsibility and it's not a privilege by which pastors advance their own status. I'm talking about imitating what God imitates and honoring who God honors. As shepherds, we, your pastor, they serve under the authority of the chief shepherd, the good shepherd and the chief shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep, doing the will of the master rather than our own will. And Peter caps it off and says, and when the Lord comes, those elders who have served in accordance with what they talked about in verses two and three, when the Lord comes, they will receive a reward, the crown of glory that would never fade away. When the Lord comes, those who do not serve by compulsion, but willingly with a wholehearted desire. When the Lord comes, those who serve not for shame, for gain, or filthy lucre, but those who serve eagerly. When the Lord comes, those who serve not in a domineering fashion, but those who serve as examples of the great high God. When the Lord comes, knowing that if we uh, do not faint, we shall reap the reward. When the Lord comes, knowing that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy when the Lord comes, knowing that if we suffer now that we shall also reign. May I pick up that pen talking about partakers too. The text says that when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the ancient Near Eastern times and the athletic uh, events, sort of like the Olympics and other things, the victor or the winner would receive a crown. Uh, the crown would be one of a, 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 a laurel wreath, and they would put that wreath on the victor's head, and, and, and that person would receive a reward. But that reward, that crown for the victor that won the athletic event, it would only be for a little while because it's made of flowers or it's made of laurels and that wreath would die because it's organic. But uh, Peter says, when the good shepherd comes, you will receive a unfading crown of glory. In the Bible, the New Testament, there are five crowns that are talked about. Uh, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinthian in chapter nine, verse 25, he says, everyone who competes, and the games exercise the self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I want you to know that we shall wear a crown. I'm talking about the incorruptible crown. But also John, the revelator on the Isle of Patmos, he writes in Revelation chapter 2 and 10 to the church of Smyrna. He says, do not fear 
what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So not only is there a crown, an incorruptible crown for the victor's crown, but there is also the crown of life for those who are faithful unto death. And then we have here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6 and 8, it says that for I am already, this is Paul writing to his son in the ministry of Timothy, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So it is an incorruptible crown. There is a crown of life, but there is also a crown of righteousness for all of us who are anticipating, for all of us who are eagerly waiting for the time when Jesus Christ, the great I am, would come back and set things right on this earth. But also there, Timothy, in front of Thessalonians, Paul writes, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exhortation? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and our joy. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, for those of us who labor in God's vineyard, for those of us who are up day and night strategizing about how we can do a better job of winning souls for Christ. And for those who think that this is just about preachers and pastors, no, no, boo-boo, it's about all of us. Because Paul is telling that church in Thessalonica, not only me as an elder, not only me as a pastor, not only me as an apostle, but for everybody who calls on the name of Christ and everybody that's been born again, that everybody that has the Holy Spirit, everybody that has at least one spirit to give, everyone who's out there working in the video for the, the harvest is but the labors are few for everyone laboring for Christ trying to tell a dying world that there's a reality in serving the one and only true and living God you're going to get a crown too I'm talking about a crown of rejoicing for those who are out there winning souls for the master but then he talks about a crown of glory and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory we shall wear a crown you're going to be a partaker too when you're out there working for the Lord and there's a reward that your pastor will get because if we're going to do a preemptive strike then I want to honor what God honors. If we're going to do a preemptive strike, I want to honor who God honors. If we're going to do a preemptive strike, I want to learn more and more each and every day of my life. I want to learn how to imitate God each day better than I did before. I want to love what God loves and I want to hate what God hates. I want to support what God supports and I want to uh, help and pray for what God prays for. I want to be an example in my city, in my culture, in my country, in this land that I may let them know that the best testimony that I can give is a changed life because of the reality that I know that I am a child of God although I move so slow. So we should get a crown. So when we are imitating what God imitates, we can imitate God and that he honors pastors by giving them a 
crown of glory and we can do a preemptive strike to honor what God honors. Someone get a Lord a hand clap, a praise. Honoring what God honors and honoring who God honors. When the chief shepherd appears for all your laboring, when the chief shepherd appears for all that you've been through, the strife, the struggle, the ups and downs, the changes and turnarounds, when the chief shepherd appears, the God who sees in secret will reward you openly, you will receive an unfading crown, a crown that will never tarnish. You will receive an unfading crown, a crown that will never get old. You will see an unfading crown, a crown that would last forever, and it is the crown of glory that we will place before the master's feet. We talked about the master's role, the master's, the pastor's responsibility, and the pastor's reward and if I just gave you this just for a bonus, it's just our responsibility for younger men likewise. Be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May God bless you and heaven smile upon you is our prayer. Thank you, Pastor uh, Hunt, for giving me this opportunity to share with this message. Because it's a message that I know that pastors won't preach, but it's a message that needs to be preached because it's the whole counsel of God. God bless you and have a smile upon you is our prayer.